Um, sandwiched between the books of Titus and Hebrews, you'll find a little book by the name of Philemon. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, I know some people prefer to pronounce it Philemon, but you'll forgive me. I grew up with Philemon. It reads as follows. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without, my, without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of, you, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray that your word may prevail this evening, despite my weaknesses or inability, 
May your word and your truth prevail. And I pray that you minister to us this night. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As a means of introduction, before I even get to the background and try and explain what is going on in the letter, I find it fitting and appropriate, and honestly, I just really like this book. So I'm going to try and hype it up a little. This little letter takes up less than a page in most of our Bibles, all of 25 verses. I am glad to find it in the Scriptures. It is a treasure. It is the most intimate of Paul's letters. He addresses a personal domestic issue in this letter. But it is also the most loving, the most heartfelt of all of his letters. As he makes his appeal, he appeals for the the sake of love, he says in verse 9. And later he says, he sends back the person carrying the letter, sending his very heart. It is also practical in its nature. In most of Paul's writings, he's trying to explain doctrine. He declares truth. He teaches. This letter is not the gospel taught. It is the gospel lived. And I hope to demonstrate to you that Paul consciously chose to be Christ-like in this letter. And the Bible is better off for it. That we have such an intimate little letter from Paul, from the Apostle Paul, not only proclaiming Christ, but also living Christ. One of the commentators would note, Paul's instruction here, it provides the the biblical definition of forgiveness without ever even using the word. So Paul writes to his friend, a partner and brother in Christ, Philemon. He writes from a prison in Rome. He writes on behalf of a runaway slave. In the ESV it says bondservant, but a runaway slave, Onesimus. Onesimus belonged to Philemon's household. Before he stole from Philemon and then he ran away to Rome. By God's grace and providence in Rome, a city of around one million people, Onesimus, a runaway slave, crosses paths with Paul. And so through Paul's ministry, he would become a Christian. And now as a Christian, perhaps with some encouragement from Paul, perhaps with some conviction through the Holy Spirit, perhaps both, he is now returning to his former master to try and make things right. But a brief historical note is needed here. At this time in history, the Roman Empire in the first century, almost a third of the population was made up of slaves. These slaves had very little to no legal rights. One commentator notes they were often treated worse than an enemy. A runaway slave coming back to their master was completely at their master's mercy. And slaves were often crucified for far less. So Onesimus, although now a Christian, he has reason to fear as he returns to his former master, Philemon. Legally, 
Philemon is well within his rights to punish him, or even worse, kill the runaway slave who stole from him. And so Paul intervenes. He sends Onesimus back with his letter. It is a plea on his behalf. And he tries to address this delicate matter. But how does he go about this? Well, he goes about it gently, cautiously, humbly. But as we come to my first point this evening, I want us to consider verse 8 to 9. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I said my first point, but really there's only one point tonight, and it's the same as the title, for love's sake. And although we only find this phrase in verse 9 of the text, for me, and what I will try and communicate this evening, is that this letter oozes love. It is done lovingly, it oozes care, it asks for love, it celebrates love. Although he only says once, for love's sake, the whole letter is about love. Suppose a child asks his or her parents for money. The request would usually need to stand on good reason. For example, a textbook, school shoes, maybe lunch money. Those, those are considered good reasons. But endless sweets, a new computer game, fancy, expensive clothing, those can be bad reasons. Perhaps a better analogy for the grown-ups, if you ask to borrow someone's car, you need a good reason. And furthermore, you need their trust. They are unlikely to borrow you their car if they do not trust your driving. What is my point? Every request, every appeal, it hinges on something. It rests on good reason or trust or relationship. Without those things to lean on, you are unlikely to get what you want. So it is with Paul. He chooses to rest this letter. He chooses to rest his appeal on this phrase, for love's sake. He states it clearly. If he wanted to, he could have commanded Philemon, and had he done so, he would have rested that command on his boldness in Christ. But no, he purposefully, he purposefully sets that to the side and appeals for love's sake. Consider that word love for a moment. What love? The love of food? The love of money? The love of soccer? The love of a sunset? The love of a friend? The love of family? See, we, in the English language, we could use the word love for almost anything. But the biblical, the biblical word for love, in this case, the Greek word agape, it is not a general love. God is love, you'll find in First John. God is agape. Whoever abides in love, abides in God and God in him. 
This love, by definition, it is inherently divine. It is not of our doing. And outside of God, this love is completely and utterly beyond us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. But the first one, love. In Romans 5, it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not just any love, but agape love. God's love, selfless love, sacrificial love, for God so loved the world. It is necessary for Paul to make this appeal based on love. Why? Because we cannot force love. Godly love, agape love, it cannot be forced. See verse 14. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this letter to be at all effective, for Philemon to receive back the slave who stole from him, receive him not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, Philemon has to make the choice, and that choice has to stand on agape, God's love. He cannot be compelled or forced into it. That's why Paul, from the get-go, he doesn't write this letter from a point of authority. Notice in verse 1, he sets his, apostle, his apostleship to the side. In most of his letters, you'll find Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. No, 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 not so here. Here he comes humbly. Paul, a prisoner for Christ. Later, he says, Paul, an old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We are grateful for his authority. Authority is not evil. Were it not for him being an apostle, our Bibles would be significantly lighter. But here he sets his apostleship to the side. Because titles don't matter when it comes to this. It doesn't matter if you are an apostle, an elder, a pastor, maybe you like to go by prophet or bishop or whatever you want to call yourself. You cannot force a tree to bear fruit. You cannot squeeze the fruit of the Spirit out of someone. It has to come from them, or rather, it has to come from God working through them. Neither he who plants nor he who waters anything but only God who gives the growth. I can promise you, many a pastor has wished he could shake the fruits of the Spirit out of his congregation. Many a believer has wished they could go to their unbelieving friend or family and shake them into faith, but it cannot be so. Only God. So this isn't some funny, romantic, abstract expression for the sake of love, it is well thought out and intentional. For the sake of agape, for the sake of God's love that he demonstrated while we were still sinners, 
by sending his son to die for us. I, Paul, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that love. You, Philemon, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that love. So he appeals to Philemon, accept back this runaway slave. Not because he deserves it, but for the sake of love, God's love. But let's rewind. Going back to verses 4 to 7, we see here Paul takes a a lighter tone and it seems he's complimenting Philemon. But this isn't just some divine flattery. This isn't just Paul trying to butter him up so he can get what he wants. No, it's genuine. I remember you in my prayers. I thank God for you. I hear of your love, agape love, the same word is used there, godly love for all the saints. And I hear of your faith towards the Lord Jesus, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And then we go to verse 20. And he says, Brother, I, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's not flattering Philemon. He's building him up, acknowledging that already the fruits of the Spirit are evident in his life. Acknowledging that he sees God's love in Philemon. So he appeals You have loved the saints. Their hearts have been refreshed through you. They are welcome in your home. Refresh my heart too in Christ. He begs him. That is wonderful. It's it's wonderful to hear of your love for the saints. But refresh my heart too in Christ. Accept back your runaway slave. Because he is no longer just a slave. He is now much more than that. He is your brother in Christ. The same love that you show to others, show to him. Refresh my heart in Christ, Paul begs. As if all of this was not enough, as if this appeal for the sake of love was not enough, Paul takes it one step further. And almost as a last resort in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand, I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. The general consensus is that the last part of verse 19, it points to Philemon being a fruit of Paul's ministry, that he owed Paul his very own self, If it was not for Paul, it is likely Philemon would not even be a Christian. But Paul puts it aside, puts it aside, albeit with a touch of irony. He says he won't mention what Philemon owes him, but of course by stating that he won't mention it, he mentions it. And so reading this, Philemon realizes, I too was once outside of the grace of God. 
Maybe I didn't steal, maybe I didn't run away from my master, but I too was lost, and I was shown mercy. We do not know what the outcome of this fear was, but if Philemon's faith was sincere, and according to Paul in this letter it was, I think Philemon accepted Onesimus back as more than a slave, but as a brother. Before I conclude, I want to take a moment to draw some parallels between Paul and Christ as he presents himself in this letter. I mean, all of what I've said already points to Paul's Christ-like character in this letter, but I want to take a moment to draw some specific parallels. As we were, Dead in our sins, lost in the wilderness, before Christ found us, renewing us, reviving us, putting us to work for the glory of God. So too was Onesimus before he crossed paths with Paul. He was a thief, running away from his master's house, a criminal, purposeless. And then verse 11, in a play on words, because the name Onesimus comes from the Greek word useful, Paul says, what was formerly useless to you is now useful. As we were indebted to God, sinful, deserving of his wrath, before Christ took the weight and penalty of our sin on his own shoulders, so too was Onesimus, indebted to his master, deserving of judgment. But Paul, as we have already mentioned, says, I will repay it. Charge it to my account. And as we see Paul appealing to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, we are reminded, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Even as I emphasize Paul's Christ-likeness in this letter, the point isn't to lift Paul up. The point is that all of us are called to do likewise. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is God's love poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel applied. Go and do likewise. So we have this letter. We have its intimacy. We have its practicality. We have the love which it stands on. We have the image of Christ in Paul. How do we apply this? How do we wrap it up? Just two applications. Firstly, and I think this is one of the more obvious applications of this letter, we find it in Onesimus returning to his former master. When we become Christians, our sins are forgiven. Every single one of them, we are made righteous through Christ. We are now in right standing with God. But a clean slate.